Sherm Chester, along with Sam Bruno on this edition of the Seacoast Sports Forum, and our special guest today, the honcho of the New Hampshire Football Report.com, Roger Brown. And Roger, uh, it's official. Every team from the fall sports world can start their practices. So we'll concentrate, I guess, with football. The first question I wanted to throw out at you, all the divisions you see, we'll obviously concentrate on Division One this year, but give us a snapshot of what you see in uh, the different divisions this year. Well, they've, they've kind of shuffled the deck a little bit, Sherm, in some of the divisions, uh, or all of them, actually, to some degree. Um, are you looking for, you know, some of the better teams? Is that what you're wondering about? Yeah, I guess what you're what – you're, expectations i mean now practices are just underway and 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 cuts haven't been made and all that based on what you saw last season and what you you know you keep your ear to the ground what's in the pipeline for different teams in the league and divisions you know what what are we going to be looking for this year well i think in division one the biggest question will be can anybody take down londonderry uh because they won last year and they were a very uh dependent on a, a, a very talented junior class. So they've got a lot of those uh, main contributors coming back, including their quarterback, Drew Heenan. So, you know, I think it's Londonderry and then, you know, a, a second tier uh, of teams. And we'll just have to see if anybody from that second tier can, is, is good enough to beat them, you know, when we won't know for, for months. But I think, I think that's the biggest storyline in Division One. Division two, you know, I think it's uh, – I don't, I don't know who the contenders are going to be. I don't think there's a overwhelming favorite because Timberlane was undefeated last year in that division and won it, and then they moved up to Division one this year. So they don't have a, a defending champion there. Uh, and the same thing I, I could be said for Division three because Pelham won it there and then moved up to Division two. So those two divisions are really for, there for the taking, I think. And then um, – you know, Summersworth, I think, will be the team to beat in Division Four. somewhat of a Seacoast team. The, the Summersworth and, and Londonderry would be the two strongest favorites, in my mind, at this point in the season, anyways. And Any standout players, that, you know, returning players this year that you're, you're going to be keeping an eye on in, in the different divisions? We don't have to go specifically division by division, but just, you know, throwing, throwing some names out there, especially kids in the Seacoast area. Yeah, well, around here, you know, you've got, as you guys know, a couple of kids from Exeter that are that are good returning players, Michael Detour and Ryan Graney from Exeter. You've got a running back, Frankie Brown from Winnicunit, and a lineman, Jake Fredericks from Winnicunit, who one of the better players in the state. Um, two other kids I would mention that are very, very talented in Division One is uh, – Toby Brown from Nashua North, who's a defensive end. Ty Miles from Londonderry, who's like a 6'4", 300-pound uh, offensive and defensive tackle, probably a Division One player. So those are some of the guys to keep an eye on around here and, and elsewhere in Division One. Yeah, in the other divisions, hey, just a couple of th- – you can throw out some names. Well, I mean, one of the kids from the lower divisions would be Calvin Lambert, uh, running back from Summersworth, is returning. He was probably there – you know, maybe their best player or most productive offensive player last year, and he's back. That's why I, one of the reasons I think they'll be a favorite in that division. But the you know the other ones I would I would be listing a lot of kids in Division Two and Division Three. There's a lot of good ones in those divisions. Sam, I think that uh, 
you know, one of the interesting things, I was just looking over some of the NHIAA schedules for the season, trying to see how many teams are taking an open date. There's a blip this year. Some teams are taking an open date and some teams are filling that with a New Hampshire team. And the Blue Hawks are filling their open date with a Vermont team. Roger, how come that happened? It happened because we have 21 teams in Division One this year, and they didn't expect that to be the case. So what was a pretty good system, I think a lot of people agreed, you know, you were playing balanced schedules, meaning when it comes to Exeter, we're playing the same opponents. They had to ditch that. Now we have seven, or excuse me, three seven-team conferences, and it's really messy. I mean, there's no other way around it. I don't you know, they made the best of a bad situation, no question, but you got some teams playing more teams, countable games and other teams, you know, they've, they're going past Thanksgiving now f- for the playoffs. Not that Thanksgiving football was a big thing around here, but there were some places where, you know, they were trying to keep it going or start, start it. St. Thomas is one of the schools that was trying to start up a Thanksgiving football game with Trinity. You know, Nashville's had to cancel its Thanksgiving Day game because of this. The Manchester Thanksgiving Day game is probably in jeopardy. So, you know, it is what it is, but it's it's not the system that we had last year. And it's, you know, it's not as good in my opinion. The, the scheduling itself, the NHIAA, uh, when they put the schedule together, is it throwing darts at a board or or, or how do they do that? Scheduling. I think it's the athletic directors. Okay. You know, so this year it was a lot of, um, like Sam said, some teams filled their open date. Some teams opted to play an out-of-state game, which does not count in the standings, but would come into play in tiebreakers. So go figure that one out. Mm. Doesn't count, but it does. And other teams are playing an in-state opponent. So you will have an extra game that counts in the standings. So, you know, it's far from an even playing field, so to speak. Why can't they come up with something so that if you play in other division team, another division team, um, you get fewer points if you beat them and they get more points if they beat you. Would anything like that ever work with the high school level? Yeah, they do do that in some sports, just not football. I don't think they want football teams playing out of division. Really? You know, huh. yeah, yeah. I don't, they don't think they want like a Exeter playing, uh, you Saint know, small school from Division Three that only has thirty kids. Right. You know? But I mean, I like to see like St. Thomas has been a, a juggernaut over the years. That would be kind of a fun matchup once in a while to see that against the Blue Hawks. I don't know if you ask St. Thomas if they would think it would be that much fun. <laughs> <laughs> you may like get more it, sure, but. They get more points in the standings if they beat the Blue Hawks. You know what I mean? That that's again, it's it's I know in, in college it's all based on money. I mean, there's a lot of money involved, but uh, I just think it would be fun if you could pull one person out of another division. And well, again, that's why I, I, I like the Thanksgiving Day game. Like I grew up with a Thanksgiving Day game. Yeah. It was very successful. It was a huge social event. You know, people, kids coming home from college. I don't think people think about that when they think of these. But that would be a perfect opportunity for St. Thomas to play Dover or whoever. Or, you know, imagine if, you know, if Exeter and Winnicott were in separate divisions, they could play on Thanksgiving. How big would that be? Right. right. Think about right. that. Tell me that wouldn't be a popular game. Taking a look at the Blue Hawks schedule this year, um, you know, there, there was the consideration for years about travel that they wanted to try and keep. That's why they 
created the geographic regions um, so that Exeter always plays Portsmouth, Spalding, Winnicunnet, and Dover um, in their league and then play some teams outside of their league. The teams they're playing outside of their league, they don't have to travel very far. They have to go to Salem. They have to go to Plastow and play Timberlane. Not a lot of big travel. So uh, any season that you don't have to go to Keene is a good season in my mind. <laughs> Correct. And, and I think actually, Sam, Timberlane is in their league this year. Uh, so moved technically up. that'll be a that'll be a game that they'll play every year moving forward as long as, you know, as long as they keep this current setup anyways. But um, yeah, you're right. And they don't have to go to Vermont. The Vermont team is coming here. So that's a, you know, that's a boost as well. Um, I don't think that's a home and home series, right? Well, who knows? You know, it depends what they do next year. Um, is this the second year of a two-year cycle? No, this is the first year. Okay. Well, that's why we have all the the shuffling of teams and whatnot. We have some teams. I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but this is the first year that if you let's say you're a division one team and you petition down to play in division two, like Timberlane did last year, you would not be eligible for the playoffs this year. So that's a rule that comes into play. And I don't, it doesn't affect anybody that's, that should be in division one, but it does affect some schools in the smaller uh, divisions that opted to move down. I think there's a couple that moved from two to three and maybe one from three to four. So we'll have some teams that are just ineligible for the playoffs right off the bat. Um, you know, as they try and get the programs back on track. Just to give an update on the other sports, uh, boys soccer opening game is a home game on the 26th of August. The first girls soccer home game will be August 30th, which is a Tuesday. And the first girls field hockey team uh, home game will be August 31st. And those are all four o'clock games at Ball Stadium. Roger, I wanted to uh, bring up the Maple Sugar Bowl. You were at the game and uh, a real tight contest. And tell us something about what went on up in Vermont. Well, it was a close game, which is which is good, you know, because uh, that's been the biggest problem with the game over the years is, you know, New Hampshire usually wins in a route. And then there was a few years there where Vermont was winning big, you know, after the Chad game was formed. And um yeah, seven nothing game this year. Not a lot of offense from either team, really. Um, you know, they used to have two weeks to prepare for that game, and now it's pretty much uh, less than a week. So I guess you could expect the offenses to be not as sharp as as uh, they once were. They do give them a couple of practices before they arrive up there at Castleton in Vermont. Um, but it was a close game, so you know, hopefully the fans went away happy. They had good crowd. Uh, and you know, it's for a good cause, the Shriners hospital. So, uh, it's not what it once was the Shrine game, but, um, you know, it still seems to be going strong. It's primarily run by Vermonters now. It's been a competitive game here recently, and it's good to have two all-star games for the New Hampshire kids to play. in. Yeah. Any uh, local standouts uh, in that game from around here? Yeah, there was, you know, uh, there was Winnicott kids. Nico Zeno was one of the running backs. Exeter had like three linemen in the game. The, you know, the only TD was scored by a, a, a pass play from a Londonderry quarterback to a Sanborn receiver. A couple of notes uh, as we get closer to, closer to the season. I always go on the 
National Federation website to see if there are any rule changes. Again, I run the clock at Ball Stadium. I always look at the clock operator changes. Um, One thing they're looking at is uh, under two minutes, if there is a penalty, the offending team, the offended team will have some clock options, which might be, you know, a, a team might jump offside intentionally to stop the clock if the clock is running down. But I think what's going to be happening is that the officials will give the team an option to either have the clock keep running from when the penalty occurred. So there's going to be some options there. But the rule change I really got excited about this year coming up is that now in high school football, the number zero is a legal number. How many players are going to be wearing zero? (laughs) And I think, Roger, your son playing for the Blue Hawk football team with the last name of Brown with that zero right in there. (laughs) Probably look good, wouldn't it? I think it's a natural. I think it's a natural. I'll, uh, I'll recommend it, Sam. Okay. I think <laughs> what position does he play? I don't know if you can have a linebacker wearing zero. Well, I think you have to go by offensive position, I believe. So he would be a tight end primarily oh. on offense, as they oh, all are at Exeter. Zero. And, uh, zero. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Have him lobby with the coach for zero. So we've talked about the high school season kicking off. The football at UNH is, is – been underway for a couple of weeks now, but uh, they're doing their media day and uh, some accolades have already been handed out to uh, preseason accolades. Uh, Josiah Silver has uh, been given a lot of preseason nods. Uh, Roger, what, what, what's your take on what's happening with the Wildcats over at UNH? Ooh, a lot of new stuff, right? A lot of new faces on the, of the coaching staff. You know, I think we're going to see a lot of changes this year, perhaps even in uniforms you know, based on what I saw over there at the, at the practice. I'm sure there'll be some changes schematically, you know, offense and defense too. We'll just have to wait and see what those are. Uh, but, you know, just not used to years like last season around here. And, um, you know, you, you, I think it's best for everybody if UNH has a good football team, right, competitive football team. So hopefully uh, they can get back to that level where, you know, they're competing every week. You know, the conference just seems to be getting tougher and tougher with the addition of these Southern teams or Southern schools. So um, certainly it's a challenging schedule, but they got a healthy quarterback this year, it looks like, and um, everybody's optimistic. So uh, fingers crossed they'll, they'll have a better season this year than, than last year. You think they'll go with a fixed quarterback setup or do you think there'll be a rotation in and out of different quarterbacks? Oh, I think Max Brosmer will be their guy as long as he's healthy. Yeah. I mean, that would be my guess. You know, maybe they've got something else planned, but but if you if you had to ask me, that's what that's what I would figure. You know, he'd get most of the snaps. I think you're going to see a, a faster offense. I think there's going to be a quicker offense. There's going to be uh they're gonna to try to run more plays uh than they can. And I think you're gonna see a little bit more of a spread offense. Uh from Rick Santos. So uh, again, if they have the players who can do it, if you, if you don't have the players who can do that kind of game, then you run into a lot of turnovers and mistakes and things like that. So uh, we'll see if they'll be ready against uh, Monmouth at seven o'clock Thursday night, uh, September 1st. 
This is just a guess on my part, too, but I do think you'll see UNH more under center this year, less shotgun than in the past as well, uh, which is not, you know, not the trend. I, I understand, but maybe, maybe it will become the trend that they'll go back to the old school football ways. But, um, you know, I don't just, know. I, got, I think you've got to give Dylan Lauby, Isaac Seed, guys like that. You've got to get the guy, get them into some open spaces. Um, and I think that's why they will be under center. I think they're going to feature Dylan. And uh, that's that's the primary way to get him the ball, you know, the old eye attack. Mm-hmm. Expecting yeah. also a big season from uh, Brian Espinette. Uh, I think he's got some uh, some size and some good hands. And maybe if you get Strickland on one side and Espinette on the other, uh, that could be very interesting, especially when you get inside the twenty yard line. And having Brosmer as as your quarterback, and 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 not having to you know piece together that rotation behind, behind center. That's, that's important. Right. too. So I think this is Max's year to shine. The, the one kid that the quarterbacks have been uh, raving about at tight end is, is uh, Colby Ramshaw from Londonderry. Hmm. Who's another tight end freshman tight end who came in with Strickland. Yeah. People forget about him, but um, he's a big kid, you know, six, three ish, got a big catch radius. And uh, you know, he hasn't been there that long, but, uh, the, the quarterbacks were really raving about him, throwing to him. So we'll see if he can contribute as well. Yeah, I just want to go back to high school for a second. The the Blue Hawks, when it comes to tight end, who is their tight end this year? Because we know that's uh, as important to them as a wide receiver. Well, we'll have to see. You know, that's not my call, of course. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they have two, obviously. And I, I would think, you know, Ryan Grady would be one of them for sure, the kid I mm-hmm. mentioned earlier. But, you know. Uh, that's what preseason camps for, right? Churn, you got to compete for positions. TBA to be announced, right? Okay, I just wanted—I was curious because that you know, with the Blue Hawks as opposed to the Wildcats, uh, the passing game is usually short and sweet. Just you know, whoever's open, and it's usually the tight end. So, and do you think there'll be a change there this year with the Blue Hawks, uh, more of a passing game, or is it still three yards and a cloud of dust? Well, yeah, that'll be it, basically. They may pass more, though. You know, when they've had a passing quarterback, like if you recall, sure, in the year they – it's going back quite a ways now, but their last state championship, um, when they had Ethan Joyce, they threw it a fair amount of times for them, you know, 12 times a game. You know, Let's not forget forget Hunter Long, too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, if you got – I mean, you you do what you can do, right? And, uh, you know, but I don't think they're going to – alter the offense you know they've got a lot of pass plays in the playbook i've seen the playbook it's not not five pass plays like a lot of people think it's it's thick with pass plays so they're there if they want to use them coach ball has all options open we know that um the other uh, question i was going to ask you about uh, just brought his name up have you heard anything about hunter long i know there's a lot of about the miami dolphins in the news as far as he's concerned have you heard anything about him not really sure to be honest with you I, i i haven't um I probably, you know, haven't really been paying that close of attention to the NFL yet, but, you know, hopefully he'll take a step forward this year. I, I do know Ryan Griffin is in his first year with the Bears, the other New Hampshire kid from, from uh, Londonderry. Um, so he'll add a little bit of veteran presence there. He, you know, he could have a big season if they could find somebody to throw it to him. I just want to bring up the fact that uh, just wrapped up the baseball season. Of course, you have the hampshirehardball.com website um your son's team the american legion team got into the championship game against berlin and uh, that that was, that was a good tournament for you guys just came up a little short tell us about it 
yeah, the, the kids played hard, Sherm. We were, uh, you know, runners up last year, and that's where we finished this year. It must be poor coaching, you know. Oh. Part. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we had to beat Berlin twice, beat them the first game, and then just didn't play well the second game. Um, we had uh, we had plenty of pitching, no excuses. You know, we we were in position to win it, and uh, they just played better than us. So that's a grueling schedule, though. That's why I say it's not your fault, and it's not the kids' fault either. That, that I looked at the schedule you guys had to play in the tournament. Now you guys played a lot of ball to get there. So yeah, if you if you if you're uh, if you come out of the losers bracket, you know you're playing a lot more baseball than that team. That right. if you go three and zero, you advance to the championship game. And the other team's got to win four games to your one. So it's it's a tough, tough tournament to navigate if you're, you know, if you're coming out of the losers bracket like we were. So team effort this year, we got contribute contributions from just about everybody on the roster, you know, up and down the roster. So it was, it was not one of those teams where we relied on two or three guys, got good contributions from a lot of guys from a lot of different schools around here. So appreciate their efforts. And I just want to go to one baseball reference, and then we'll go to the two-minute drill. I wanted to ask you, uh, in the last program, I did a little tribute to a, uh, a classic and probably one of the, if not the most iconic broadcasters doing play-by-play on radio and television. Uh, of course, Vin Scully. I know you've probably caught a few of his broadcasts over the years. Oh, yeah. he was. I mean, what can you say? He's the best, right? Would you agree? Uh, yeah, I, I would say, and I said it during the, our podcast last week, he, he painted the pictures. I mean, that, that was what he was taught by Red Barber way back in the, in the 40s to visually paint a picture for the people who were listening on the radio. TV was in you know its infancy then. So he had to do it, and he did what I always admired. He did it by himself, a lot of yep. those things. You know, he just he, sat he, there in the booth he, by he himself. You'd be listening to the game and he, you'd get lost. He'd start telling a story. You forgot there was even a game going on, kind of, because he would take you down some some path and um, just made the game more enjoyable. I mean, yeah. I don't know what else to say. Much more enjoyable. He certainly was better and different from the guys you hear on most broadcasts today, you know, where they're just giving you ho-hum, oh. play-by-play. And Scully's just seemed to have all these details about it. It didn't even matter. Like, if they were playing the Giants and the Giants brought up some pitcher from AAA, he had a whole freaking, you know, uh, biography of the kid. Oh, There's yeah. something interesting about him, too, you know? Yeah, everybody that, that did a tribute to him said he loved the game and you could feel it and, and sense it. I mean, even our local guys, uh, Dave O'Brien, mentioned that that was what really came across. That he loved the game. Of baseball and he was good at any sport he called whether it was football or golf or whatever but he was just you know he was into the sport and and he loved his dodgers obviously but baseball in general sam you wanted to talk about the red sox announcing situation certainly the red sox not 2022 season uh is not been successful uh and it got worse with the announcement that dennis eckersley will be ending his work with nesson on october 5th um Eckersley has been a ray of sunshine over the years with the Red Sox, uh, making the broadcast fun, exciting, uh, something you wanted to watch. Uh, He's an exceptional color analyst. He's moving to the West Coast. I don't know if he'll have any more national exposure. I'm sure he'll show up in the booth with Dave O'Brien for an inning here or there in the future, but uh, he is certainly going to be missed. Um, Nesson probably knew the writing was on the wall that he was going to be going uh, and leaving. Uh, they've tried uh, Kevin Euclid, Tony Maserati, 
uh, Kevin Millar in the booth this year, along with Dave O'Brien, um, all okay replacements, but uh, no one holds a candle deck. I mean, it's, he's the best. And uh, I hope he, I hope he signs on somewhere nationally and gets some exposure and, and at least we get to uh, hear some of his echisms in the future. So I will uh, say goodbye to him. And uh, on October 5th, feel really bad. I did want to mention one other thing about announcing. If you haven't watched the Peacock games on Sunday morning, Peacock has a national baseball game uh, early 1130 noontime on Sunday mornings. Their play-by-play man is the Chicago White Sox play-by-play man, Jason Benetti. If you've never heard Jason Benetti do a game, please tune in and listen in. I think he's one of the best. I think Joe Davis, who is a, who has replaced Joe Buck on Fox, is okay. Um, I think some of the other ESPN play-by-play guys on national games, okay. But I'm predicting great things for Jason Benetti and uh, give him a listen on Peacock on Sunday mornings. Two-minute drill time. Sam, lead us off. Okay. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to pro football uh, coming up. Uh, Patriots kick off the season on September Sunday, September 11th. So we've still got a, a month to go, uh, and we have to live through preseason action, uh, which is always a strain on everybody right now. But I guess I just I'm looking at the kind of macro view here of the Patriots. I'm really concerned about the Patriots coaching staff. I have I have a lot of confidence in Bill Belichick that will never waver. In Bill, we trust. I'm a big and Bill, we trust guy. I I have to believe he knows what he's doing. But putting Matt Patricia and Joe Judge back on that coaching staff, one of the things we noticed is the Patriots needed to get younger. They needed to get faster. They needed to instill, get it, get some excitement into the offense and defense. Um, they were a little lethargic. Uh, Matt Patricia hasn't called offensive plays, and it looks like he's going to be calling the offensive plays for Matt, Mac Jones this year. Um, Joe Judge is the quarterback coach. Um, both these guys were successful with the Patriots, but then they, when they went into the pro ranks, they didn't do so well. Um, I just am going to be watching this very closely. Uh, supposedly, the Patriots have a new offense that's simplified. I don't know if I want a simplified offense. Uh, you know, I, I, I know they want to cut down on the mistakes, um, but if they don't have the horses, uh, that's going to be a problem. So, uh, Again, I'm raising an eyebrow on the Patriots coaching staff, and I'm going to watch that closely. What about you, Roger? Did you get your opinion on what you see in the of, it's early in the preseason, obviously, but what, what's your take on the Patriots? Um, I'm, I'm kind of like a wait and see guy. I, I, you know, the last 10 years, I've always kind of found it strange why reporters, um, put so much emphasis on these early practices like Mac Jones completed 10 of eight, you know, 18 passes. And I mean, all that stuff is almost irrelevant to me, you know, uh, the stats and whatnot. And, you know, if they have a new offense, uh, you know, give them some time. If it was week two of the regular season and it was still awful, I would be concerned. Although I do share Sam's concern with the coaches um, I think Patricia was pretty well respected when he was here the first time, but after his go round in Detroit, I think, uh, 
I, I don't think people look at him the same way. I don't think they have confidence in him. And I could probably say the same thing about Joe Judge, I guess, in his trip to the Giants. So, yeah, I do I do have some concern about the coaching staff. Um, not so much about the offense, though, yet to be determined there. So, yeah, and your two-minute drill, sir. When you mentioned this, like the St. Thomas Exeter game, Sherman, got me thinking um, – we, we used to have a Seacoast preseason high school jamboree. It was at mm-hmm. Spalding High School. Yeah, yeah. Uh, several teams had jamborees, and we're really reduced to just one main one now, which is at uh, Gill Stadium, the Queen City Jamboree, which everybody goes to. And I, I do think it would be a good idea if we uh, revive the Seacoast Jamboree, maybe at Portsmouth or Winnicunit. Uh, you know, Portsmouth already plays Marshwood High School from Maine. So, you know, you could get eight teams pretty easy, match up some Seacoast teams that don't play in the regular season. Um, you know, it's always a good uh, uh, fundraiser for whoever or, you know, a cause or a team or a school. And uh, I don't know. I think it would be easy to, to put together, you know, a little bit of hard work, of course, but um, something that would be good for football in the state and certainly in this area if they could – if they could get that going here in the future. Sounds good. I like that. I like that. Throw, throw that one out there. Float that so that's one out. A, that, that's, that's a place where you could have a St. Thomas section, right? Because yeah. It's, yeah. it's a half of football. Right. It doesn't right. matter. You know, if it gets out of hand, you know, you're putting other kids in anyways. Right. right. It's a showcase, basically just a kind of tune up showcase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just need some competition to play, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but anyways, something I'd like to see for sure. Well, I should have brought this up earlier. The Chris Sale situation. I mean, talk about Mr. Hard Luck. Holy man. I mean, this guy could trip on a on a, a matchstick and get hurt. I mean, this is this is unreal. And then all that money don't on the table. The re- don't don't give him the remote. He'll have rotator cuff surgery. <laughs> no, I know. This is unbelievable. I mean, I I, I snake bit. I mean, that's just that's all you can say. And then that contract. The owners can't control themselves. They can't You're do right. it. You're right. It's I know important. they always go. 10 years, 10 years, it's, and 300 it's impossible. Mil. I mean, the Red Sox have had to live through Kyle Crawford, Rusny Castillo, Pablo Sandoval, now Chris Sale. I mean, I, you know, even though, money, he did, even though he did put his effort out on the field and we got good years out of him, but look at Dustin Pedroia. I mean, we ate the last few years of his contract because yeah. he just couldn't play. I mean, he had, he had knee problems. He couldn't play. So, well, this is why I just don't get the logic or illogic of the other thing I'm holding my breath on right now is please Celtics don't get Kevin Durant. Please do not do that. Mm. That's my final word. And I'm sticking to it. for my two minute drill. I just want to uh, wish a speedy recovery to, uh, a legendary broadcaster here in New England. I uh, retired a few years ago. Uh, Mike Lynch from Channel 5, WCVB. Uh, I just heard on a podcast that uh, Mike suffered a stroke back in May. Uh, he was on another podcast just recently uh, talking to the host about his recovery. And and he, uh, thank goodness, has the ability to communicate without any, any problems. And uh, uh, you know, talk sports with anybody and everybody still. And uh, it's good to hear his voice out there. Speedy recovery to Mike Lynch. I want to do a special dedication of this podcast today to one of my family who passed away over the weekend at the age of 99, my uncle Art Wilson down in Newark, Ohio. Uncle Art was a proud member of the Navy serving during World War II. 
he and his cousin, my Uncle Phil, who's also 99 and still hanging in there, signed up, went in together. Uh, this man, if you saw a picture of Art Wilson, you'd say, that's a nice guy. It, just from his face, you could tell he was a kind, gentle, and just a darn nice guy. One of the nicest people you ever meet on the planet Earth. So a great loss to our family. And my sympathies out to the members of Uncle Art's family and all of his kin. And Uncle Phil is still hanging in there. We'll keep him going as long as we can. We got to try to hit that century mark in December. Two proud cousins chasing the century mark. Uncle Art, this podcast dedicated to you. On behalf of Roger Brown, you can check out his work on the sports pages of the Union Leader and also NewHampshireFootballReport.com. And for Sam Bruno, I'm Sherm Chester, inviting you to join us for the next edition of the Seacoast Sports Forum. Don't forget to watch the episodes of the Seacoast Sports Forum on our Seacoast Sports Forum YouTube page. And when you're there, hit the bell to subscribe and like us. And if you have any sports photos or game videos you'd like to send us or comments, Seacoast Sports Forum at Yahoo.com.